I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We thank God for bringing us together once again this uh, morning to worship the Lord in song, in giving, and in the hearing of His Word. We have been going through First John um, and uh, looking at the series of Am I Really a Christian? And we've been doing that for a couple of weeks now. Um, we were supposed to do it uh, for um, 12 weeks, but today is the 13th week, and today is the last sermon. One of the things that about God's Word that should be clear to us is that we are not here to hear God's Word for our entertainment. You know, in, in, in the first century, philosophers would gather at Athens and they would, um, you know, pontificate and, and philosophize and, and talk about um, things um, there um, just for the sake of philosophy. And that was one of the main attractions of entertainment at that time. Even the Corinthians, um, the, the, the Greeks, it was one of the things that entertained them. We have so many things that entertain us today. We have movies, we have music, we have theater, and, and so on and so forth, right? Depending on your um, preferences of what entertains you. But we must not include the Word of God in one of the things that entertain us. You see, the Word of God speaks of things that are of eternal um, effect. They have an eternal um, purpose. Um, and we, we don't hear the Word of God just because, you know, it, it's, it's one of the things that we, we do. We hear the Word of God because it is essential to our spiritual formation. It is uh, essential to our Christian work. It is essential to our growth as Christians. And so my desire is that um, as we conclude 1 John, we will take heed of the words of James, who says we should not just be hearers of the word, but doers. In other words, the word of God, as we hear it, we, we receive it with joy, but we don't, we don't just hear and receive, right? We act upon the word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so it is my uh, desire that this series will not be in vain, that what we heard for the past 13 weeks will not be in vain, but it will trickle down to our hearts. It will um, transform us. It will make us um, 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 Christians that please the Lord. It will make us uh, people that walk in the ways of the Lord, people that seek the ways of the Lord. Let us go to First John chapter 5. We're concluding and John concludes with this statement which is our theme that you may know. That you may know. What we're going to learn this morning 
is that those of us who are true believers need to stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to stay away from false religion. We need to stay true to the one who is true, Jesus Christ, the true and eternal God. Let us turn our attention to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 13 up until the last verse, verse 21. Verse 13 up until verse 21. This is our last passage in the series of 1 John. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you're the God who speaks to us who speaks clearly, who speaks powerfully in your word. May it be our desire, Lord, to be sheep that hear your voice, that follow after the right shepherd. Lead us in your ways. Give us joy, Father, in hearing your word. Joy in doing your word. Because heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain forever. And this we believe. Help our unbelief, Lord. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. First John chapter 5, verse 13 to 21. I read from the ESV. Follow me as I read God's word. <clears throat> I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. Who, yes. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of God. This passage that we just read serves two purposes. First, it gives us the conclusion of the whole letter it also gives us two final exhortations. So to organize our time, I'd like to briefly explain how it ties up the whole letter and then spend most of our time on the final exhortations. First of all, what we see in verse 13, we see um, that declaration that John makes 
that you may know. In verse 13, we're given the purpose statement of the whole letter. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The reason John is writing is to give his readers assurance of salvation. You can know if you're really a Christian. And, and this assurance is objective. We can know that we have eternal life if we pass John's three tests. The theological test, the moral test, and the social test. The, the, theologi- the, the theological test, as we'll see today, is the most important. We, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came in the flesh and died for our sins. The moral test, our faith, must be accompanied by a transformed life. And the social test, our faith must be accompanied by a transformed love for other believers. All this is consistent with what we see in our passage this morning. There's a key phrase in this passage, we know. It it shows up a number of times. And and this phrase teaches us four truths that, uh, four truths about true believers who know they have eternal life. In verse 15, he says, we, we know we have this, the, the request that we have asked of him. In other words, what John is trying to say and is getting us to see is that God answers our prayers that are asked according to his will. And in verse 16, we are called to pray for other believers. So this is related to the social test. In verse 18, he says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, and Christ protects them. And this is related to the moral test. In verse 19, he continues to say, We know that we are from God. In verse 20, we know that we know the Son of God, the true God, and eternal life. So this is related to the theological test again. This passage is giving us a summarizing conclusion to the letter. It's reminding us of the overall purpose of the letter, to to give believers assurance of salvation. And it's reminding us of the objective criteria that gives us assurance, the three tests that we've been seeing week after week. But, but, But this passage is also giving us two final and climactic exhortations. And that's how I'd like to spend the rest of our time this morning. The first is we should pray for believers we see sinning. This is in verse 14 to verse 19. The second is that we should keep ourselves from idols. Verse 20 and 21. Let us look at the first exhortation that James and John makes and gives. In verse 14 to verse 19, pray for believers you see sinning. First, you should pray for believers that you should see, you are seeing, uh, that they are sinning, they are in sin. One of the byproducts of our assurance of salvation is confidence in prayer. Look at verse 14. We know that we, if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. And let me say this again as a, as a response to that. One of the things that Satan steals when we, 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 we involve ourselves in sin 
is our confidence in prayer. Right? We, 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 we don't know the right words. We, we, we don't know how to approach God. We are afraid of approaching God because we, are, we, we see ourselves stained. And, and one of the lies the devil in that moment um, keeps whispering in our ears is that God will not receive you. You have disgraced yourself. You are marred. You are uh, defiled. And, and you cannot walk in the presence of God. And that is, in a way, true, right? It is true that you are defiled. It is true that you are marred. But it is also true that God in His grace has sent His Son to cleanse us from our sins and to draw us to Himself. It is also true that when we come in the presence of God, He will not turn us away. That is the truth that beats all kinds of truth. When the devil accuses you of your sin, yes, you are in sin. Yes, you have sinned, but God forgives. We don't run away from God in the midst of sin. We run to God. We run to God. I'll give an illustration. I don't know if the they will hear this uh, um, someday. <laughs> I, 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 I used to pastor in Nailstrom, uh for four years before I came here. And uh, I stayed for the first year there with a family. And uh, they had two children um, in, in late in, in their... Uh, one was 10 and, and, and the other was entering a teenagehood. So the, 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 the one who was 10 was sometimes naughty and they would um, try to discipline him and spank him. But one thing that, that um, in, in the midst of the discipline and the spanking is that you could see that she is assured of her parents' love. That when they spanked her, she never ran away from her parents, she ran to them, trying to hug them, trying to say, I'm sorry. That, that is the imagery of when God disciplines us. That we, we don't run away from the discipline of God because the discipline of God is good for us. It is good for us. We run to Him, the Father who loves us, the good, good Father. We run to him. If we pray according to God's will, you see, it doesn't connect now because I, I, I went. <laughs> so if we pray according to God's will, our prayers are good as answered. <laughs> That's what John means in verse 15 when he says, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We know. It's a statement of fact and reality. We, we know. We are assured that when we pray according to God's will, we have the request that we pray for. As a result of this confidence in prayer, we should pray for other believers 
we see committing a sin not leading to death. We, we know that it is God's will to protect true believers. We, we, we are told that that much in verse 18. Those who have been born of God are protected by Christ and the evil one does not touch them. Those who have eternal life in verse 13 will be given life on the last day. So when you see true believers struggling in sin, we should pray for them and God will give them life. Now some of you would say, what's the point of praying for them if God's going to protect them anyway? Well, God uses our prayers to accomplish his work. We should pray for believers struggling with sin. God will use those prayers to protect his people and help them persevere until the last day. We, we, we spend a lot of time praying for believers who have physical health and challenges, and, and we should. But the Bible is also calling us to pray for believers that we see sinning. Do we spend time praying for those who are struggling with sin? We are called to do that. And I think we should be asking others to pray for us when we know we are struggling with sin. One of the, the, the purposes of the community, I'm, I'm talking about Christ's community, right? The community of the saints. One of the reasons, obviously, that God does not save us and, and immediately take us into heaven is also that we may become shining lights in the, in, in, in the world, right? But one of the reasons is that we, we find a safe, a safe space to walk with those we know are walking with God, to relate with those we know are relating with God. And what that does, it, it opens up a, a community that is safe enough to share your struggles. And I hope, brothers and sisters, that you are creating that space, that you are not the kind of person that when one comes to share um, something that they struggle with, that you will cause them to not share anymore because of your attitude that, that makes others, um, or, or your, your attitude that, that, that spreads uh, that information as gossip. I hope that you are, you are matured enough and you are praying for maturity and you are creating that space as a Christian to, 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 to get others to, to open up. This is the way we make progress in the Christian life. If, if we are not praying for others who are struggling with sin and you're not asking others to pray for you in your struggle with sin, you should begin now. That's one of the reasons I keep encouraging you to be part of Bible study groups and to get to know each other. It is strange. It is strange, brothers. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. It is strange to say that you are a Christian and you're pushing every Christian away. It is strange to say you're a Christian, but you don't want to be truly connected to the Christian community. You see, we, we grow through fellowship and mutual accountability. These are the, the, the means of grace that God has given to us. It is strange to want to be a solo Christian, to, to want to be an island on your own. God has not called us to be islands on our own. Yes, salvation is a personal thing, but after the personal thing, God puts you in a community of believers. 
in this passage, I, I think this exhortation to pray is simple enough. But there's a difficult twist in this passage. And uh, if you are reading, the, if you've heard, um, and, and, and you've asked yourself, what is the sin that leads to death? Congratulations, you are now reading the Bible. You're now asking the right questions. In verse 16, John says he's calling us to pray for those who are committing a sin not leading to death. He's not calling us to pray for those committing a sin leading to death. What is that what is a sin that leads to death? I think the, the, the context of our passage in front of us answers this question clearly enough. In verse 13, we learn that those who believe in the name of the Son of God have eternal life. So those committing a sin that leads to death, is, that sin is most likely the sin of unbelief, of hardening our heart against God. It's the sin of people who left the church and, uh, because they no longer believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God who came in the flesh. Those who are rejecting Christ are those who, are, who, who commit the sin that leads to death. For they are rejecting the only one that can give them life. Another reason I think that the, the sin leading to death is the sin of rejecting Christ is found by looking at the broader context of 1 John. In chapter 3, we see a lot of similarities to our passage this morning. Chapter 3, verse 6, <clears throat> we are told, No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And our passage in front of us tells us in verse 18 that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. In, in chapter 3, verse 8, we learn that whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. In our passage in front of us, we are told in verse 19 that those who are from God are not in the power of the evil one. Do you see the similarities between these passages? Right? I think the sin being spoken of in, these, in both these passages is the same sin. In chapter 3 verse 4, we learn that those who make a practice of sinning commit the sin of lawlessness. And what is the sin of lawlessness? It's rebellion or rejecting of Christ as the Son of God. Uh, those who deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came in the flesh to atone for the sins of the world, they are the ones who practice lawlessness. They reject Christ. They are the ones who commit the sin that leads to death because they reject the only one who can give eternal life. So the sin that leads to death is the sin of unbelief. John is not necessarily prohibiting us from praying for those who reject Christ. Uh, that's simply not his emphasis in this passage. He has been spending a lot of time talking about those who have rejected Christ throughout this letter. But his letter is not intended to draw those people back into the church. His letter is written to encourage those in the church who have been disillusioned by the ones who have left the church. So what he's trying, his purpose here, is trying to strengthen those whose faith has been weakened, those who have been discouraged. He's trying to strengthen them. 
He's trying to encourage those who are discouraged. He's trying to give hope to those who are hopeless. He's trying to assure them of their salvation. So it only makes sense that his emphasis here would be to encourage us to pray for believers in the church who are struggling. The struggle with sin is a move in the wrong direction. It is a move from a transformed life that comes from faith in Christ. It is a move away from fellowship with God. We shouldn't deny the fact that we sin. We all do, right? We should confess our sin, knowing God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But at the same time, John doesn't want his readers to live in sin. And so we see others struggling with sin. The Bible is calling us to do what? To pray for them. They are moving away from gospel-centered, true Christianity. God doesn't want us living in sin. God's will is to practice, is for us to practice righteousness, as you see in chapter 3, verse 10. So we, we should pray in confidence that for those who are committing sin, that that doesn't lead to death, that God will give them life. That's the first exhortation we see in our passage this morning. Let us look at the second exhortation. In verse 20 and verse 21, it says, Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. The, the second exhortation in this passage is found in verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Uh, this is the main point of the whole letter. And this is the main point of our passage in front of us. The exhortation is to pray for believers grounded in the theological reality. The, 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 let me say it again. The exhortation to pray for believers is grounded in the theological reality that God answers our prayers. And the exhortation to stay, from, to stay away from idols is also grounded in the theological reality, the most important theological truth in the entire letter. Look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and, who, and, and, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, listen to this, he is the true God and eternal life. True believers know Christ, the one who is true. This is amazing, right? And to know Christ is to know the true and eternal life. This is a profound reality. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said that the Father was the only true God. In John 17, verse 3, here we are told that Jesus is the true God. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Along with John chapter 1, verse 1, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, is the most explicit statement on the deity of Christ. We are told plainly here, Christ is the true and eternal life. is the true God and eternal life. And through faith, we know him. John wants his readers to know that their faith is a true faith in the true God. He wants them to know that Jesus is the God-man. That's the truth. There has been plenty of evidence in John's letter that Jesus is the God-man. As I pointed out last week in chapter 5, 
uh, verse 7 to 8, the spirit and the water and the blood all testify to the person and work of Jesus Christ. The water refers, remember, to Jesus' baptism where God the Father declared that Jesus was his own son in whom he is well pleased. So the water testifies to Christ's deity. That the blood testifies to Christ's humanity and his sacrificial death. And the Spirit also bears witness to who Jesus is. And the Spirit is true. But not only that, as we saw in the sermon in chapter 4, verse 1 to 6, the, the apostolic witness, right? The, the, recorded in the pages of the New Testament, also testifies that Jesus came in the flesh. Whoever knows God listens to us, verse 6 of chapter 4, the apostolic witness, right? By this we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. That there is plenty of evidence. Those who believe Jesus is the God-man who came to die for our sins uh, have true faith and the tr- in the true religion. By what? But what, what, why does John take pains to make this point in the last two chapters of his letter? Why does he end his letter on this point? Well, I think it's because he doesn't want his readers to be swept away by false religion. Remember we spoke about how this was the beginning of the mushrooming of Gnosticism, right? The false teaching where they claim to have extra knowledge that is not uh, revealed to any other people, right? I was listening to a man called um, Robert Henderson during the week and uh, I just couldn't believe myself. They have this teaching that is spreading called the court of heaven. And everyone that I listen to has this experience in which they, they were transported in a way to heaven. They met an angel and were transported to heaven and the Holy Spirit stood before them and they made their case before God. So it's, it's a way of, of making special prayers that are not in the Bible, right? It's a way of, of it rejects even the Lord's prayer uh, because this time you go and demand before God and make your case as if God is in a, in a, is in a they use the language of a courtroom, right? You, you'll hear how this is westernized. Um, they use the, the Western system of the, the courtroom. They go and demand before God. Not humbly, they demand before God that he does something and he must do it. So you get this special uh, uh, ability to be transported into heaven. John is calling these people to reject this. You see, brothers and sisters, false teaching... If you study historical theology, you'll notice that false teaching, there's nothing new, right? It just comes again in new clothes. John is fighting that very thing here, Gnosticism, which uh, grows especially in the second century, right? But again, it has come back. People have special knowledge that is outside the Bible, and we must reject that little children keep yourselves from idols 
There's a lot of false teaching and false teachers out there. He wants to assure his readers that they have eternal life and that they have true faith in the true God so that they will stay away from false teaching, especially false teaching about Jesus Christ. Anyone who says, I've spoken to Jesus Christ and Jesus said, quote, da-da-da, da-da-da, close quote, then it must be added to the Bible. And what does Jesus say about, about that? He says, we must not add to the word of God. As we've seen in the past weeks, faith in Jesus is not enough, right? We must believe very specific things about Jesus. He is fully God and fully man. If we take away the full deity of Christ, then he isn't able to save us from our sins. He cannot. If we take away the full humanity of Christ, then he isn't qualified to save us from our sins. False teaching about Jesus is dangerous because it undermines the gospel at every turn. We need to keep ourselves from idols. What John means when he says this is we need to keep ourselves from false teaching about Jesus Christ. For false teaching about Jesus is a false religion and it leads to all kinds of sinful living, moral sin and social sin. False teaching is a false religion. It is idolatry. Here's my sermon in one sentence. True believers know the true God and have eternal life. Therefore, you should keep yourselves from following false teaching that leads to death. Or to put it more concisely, true believers should keep themselves from false teaching. Are you solid on the doctrine of Jesus? Are you solid on the doctrine of salvation? If I came to you, and I'm not a believer, and asked you who Jesus is, are you going to give me an answer that is in the Bible? An answer after you give me, if it happens that Jesus were to appear at that particular moment, would he say, would he say amen to, to that answer, or would he rebuke you? Are you solid? on your understanding of who Jesus is? Are you solid on your understanding of what salvation is? You see, knowing the truth about what the Bible says about the person of Christ and what he has accomplished through his life, death and resurrection are critical to the Christian life. That's one of the reasons why I think regular church attendance is important. That's one of the reasons I think participating in Bible studies is critical to the formation of Christians. Of course, I hope all believers will serve in the church and reach out to to, to people in in their communities. But I also think it is important to be grounded in in sound doctrine. Right? You don't just become a believer today and run to the street tomorrow. You must be trained. You must read your Bible. You must be instructed on what the faith is. I once had someone saying, Africa is over-evangelized, but under-taught. So many people call themselves Christians. So many people who are identifying as Christians, but they are under-taught. They don't want to be discipled. 
that's why I think regular discipleship is important. John obviously thinks this is important. He has spent five chapters explaining sound doctrine and the kind of living that should accompany sound doctrine. He wants them to know that the real thing and know that they belong to the true God and, and eternal life so that they will stay away from false imitations that lead to death. True believers know the true God and have eternal life. Therefore, we should keep ourselves from false teaching that leads to death. Let us pray. Our dear heavenly and mighty Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak clearly. We thank you for your word that has been revealed to John to document for the believers of all time. We thank you that we are privileged to hear your truth. We've read about Tunisia and we prayed for them. Lord, we can't imagine what it looks like to not be free to practice our faith, not be free to carry our Bibles on the street, not be free to share our faith with people that we encounter. May we see that as a privilege, Lord, that we have this freedom May we see it as a privilege to learn, to study, to ask, to fellowship, so that we may walk in the truth, we may live the truth. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.